0: Welcome to the podcast, Crime Salad, where we talk true crime. I'm your host, Ashley, and with me always is my husband and partner in crime, Ricky. The purpose of this podcast is to honor the victims through ethical storytelling in the hopes of preventing future tragedies. We want our stories to resonate and educate others in hopes that some of these similar cases with identifiable patterns can be prevented. Now, before we jump in, please let us warn you that this is a true crime podcast. The details of this episode may be triggering to some listeners. Listener discretion advised. We talk a lot about coercive control in this podcast because it often intersects with domestic violence and intimate partner violence. We have learned through these horrific cases we share that domestic violence encompasses much more than just broken bones and bruises. It includes controlling behaviors such as physical and emotional isolation, financial control, verbal abuse, and emotional abuse. This is one of the reasons why we often choose to cover cases like this that highlight the deficiencies in the criminal justice system or cases that result in new laws or legislation that may save the next person from those similar failures. We hope to make sure that the next victim has a safety net of support, including law enforcement and mental health evaluators. We often end these types of episodes by sharing resources on where to go for help and how to make a safety plan. In today's case, an Australian woman named Hannah Clark had a real fear that her husband might harm her or her children. This would be an absolute frightening situation, being, I mean, this is the person that you married, the person who you trust to keep you and your children safe. But she feared for their lives. And it got to a certain point that she went to law enforcement and got a referral for support services and she made a safety plan. With the help of both experts and family, Hannah was ready to put that plan into place with the hopes of a safe exit. However, even with a safety plan and even with a successful exit, she still had a tragic outcome. Hannah and her children were failed by the court system. Even after some egregious incidents with her soon-to-be ex-husband, the courts still gave this man access to their children. Even though Hannah tried her best to keep herself and her children safe from her ex, she could never have anticipated the lengths he would have gone to make sure she never left him. So today, we wanna bring focus to what leading experts call the reddest of red flags in an abusive relationship. And it's often considered a precursor of homicidal violence. What we haven't talked much about is the significance of choking and strangulation in the context of domestic violence In fact, domestic violence experts call it a red flag for very good reasons. When assessing the risk factors for a domestic violence victim, any reported history of choking or strangulation automatically places that person higher on the risk factor for serious escalating violence and homicide. According to the website thehotline.org, they believe that risk to be 10 times higher. Those who attempt to strangle an intimate partner are far more likely later to commit extreme acts of violence against them. Domestic violence experts and law enforcement believe it to be a strong indicator that an abusive relationship could turn fatal. Strangulation is one of the most lethal forms of domestic violence. Unconsciousness may occur within seconds and death within minutes. Now the mother, Hannah Clark, when she was a child, she was a natural athlete who excelled in gymnastics and trampoline competitions. And she knew her entire life that she wanted to work with children and in the fitness world. And at just 19 years old, still a teenager herself, she was pursuing those dreams. She worked as a youth gymnastics coach and child caregiver at the time when she crossed paths with Rowan Baxter, a 31-year-old married man Rowan's son, Isaiah, was one of Hannah's students, and she was immediately flattered by the attention from the older father. Rowan met his first wife when he was just 18 years old, and she was 16 years old. Right from the start of their relationship, Rowan exhibited controlling behavior and had explosive outbursts of anger. And by the time their son was two years old, his first wife, who we won't publicly name, was ready to leave the relationship. However, each time she tried to leave Rowan, he would stalk her and track her down. He would leave threatening notes on her car and told her several times if she tried to take her son, she would never see him again. The implied threat being that he would harm their son and then kill himself. And other times he threatened to kill them both and himself in a murder-suicide. On another occasion, he told her that he had a hosepipe in the trunk of his car and he was ready to end it all if she didn't immediately come home. This is quite foretelling given what happens in his second marriage. To note, his first wife was terrified by Rowan's threats and as a result, she felt that she had no other choice but to return home to him. And for a long time, she felt trapped with no way out. Over a decade later, Hannah Clark would feel the same sense of helplessness. Rowan was briefly a member of the New Zealand Warriors rugby team, but was never good enough to actually play in a game. And for a short while, he worked as the team's athletic trainer. But his competitive nature made it impossible for him to get along with the team members. He wanted to dominate and humiliate them and prove he was stronger and had more endurance. And fearing an injury to their players, he was eventually let go from this job too. In 2007, Rowan's first family moved from New Zealand to Australia, and it was the next year in 2008 when Rowan first met Hannah. Despite being married, he began dating Hannah almost immediately. He lied to Hannah and told her that he was separated from his wife. And when Hannah found out that he was still living with his wife, he explained that it was for the sake of their son and the two were living separate lives. This, too, was another lie. In fact, at the time, he told his close friend that he remained living with his wife because he couldn't afford a divorce. He also said his wife knew about his affair and was pressuring him to end it. Now, Rowan had a decision to make. On one hand, he didn't want to lose control over his wife and son. However, he couldn't harm either of them and still be free to be in a relationship with Hannah. This might be the reason why he eventually consented to his wife and son moving away from him. Of course, the separation had to be on Rowan's terms. And when his first wife requested child support and alimony, he once again threatened to kill both of them. Eventually, his ex-wife abandoned any request for support, ever knowing that was probably one of the decisions that kept both her and her son alive. But meeting Hannah didn't suddenly make Rowan into a reasonable person or even less aggressive. He still terrorized and frightened his ex-wife and son for years. Later, as an adult, Isaiah would say that his father's appalling parenting caused irreversible damage to his mental health. Rowan was competitive even with his own child and would hurt him and play entirely too rough with him. If Isaiah cried or begged him to stop, he would double down on his torturous versions of play. Isaiah would beg his mother not to see his father and was relieved when Rowan would ignore him for years at a time. About six months after meeting Rowan, Hannah became pregnant with her and Rowan's child. She was excited about her baby and immediately wanted to discuss a future together and began dreaming of baby names. Rowan didn't feel the same way. He became enraged at her unplanned pregnancy and he told Hannah she was too young to have a baby and forced her to have an abortion. Hannah was devastated, but too afraid to defy him. Four years go by and Hannah got pregnant once again and this time she insisted on keeping her baby. At 14 weeks pregnant, Hannah and Rowan were finally married, which was something Hannah wanted for a very long time. Hannah's parents paid for the wedding. However, when they weren't given enough money as wedding gifts, Rowan once again became enraged. He wanted to use that money to fund an overseas honeymoon, while Hannah wanted to save the money to help with their future baby's expenses. And throughout their relationship, Rowan was financially irresponsible, and he would often make rash decisions regardless of the financial repercussions. Hannah's parents, the Clarks, would often have to lend Hannah money to cover their bills. And at one point, Rowan would take their unopened bills and drop them off in the Clarks' mailbox with the expectation that they would be paid. Their baby girl was born on April 10th, 2013, and they named her Aaliyah Baxter. And Hannah was a new mother, she was so excited. She had always dreamed of becoming a mother and having a family of her own. Once Aaliyah arrived, things went from bad to worse with Rowan. Almost immediately, he set rules that his mother-in-law was not allowed to come to his home, and she was not allowed to look after their daughter. This was something that devastated the Clark family. When he did allow Hannah to see her family, he would often pick a fight with her brother or her mom and force Hannah to leave with him. And Hannah felt like she was constantly in the middle between her mother who had quite reasonable behavior and Rowan who had quite unreasonable behavior. Even though she had done nothing wrong, Hannah would beg her mother to apologize to Rowan to keep the peace. She told her mother if she didn't apologize, Rowan would take it out on her for days and make her life miserable. Now, every week on Sunday night, the Clarks would have a dinner, which Rowan would rarely let Hannah or the children attend. Rowan did everything he could to isolate Hannah from her family. If Rowan and Hannah were at the beach and they ran into her family or friends, he would make Hannah pack up all of their things and move to a different location. Isolation in cases like this is a huge red flag. Rowan also began controlling how she dressed and with whom she was allowed to speak. He told her she was no longer allowed to wear shorts in the gym and instead had to wear long exercise pants while she worked as a personal trainer or led exercise classes. He also told her that she wasn't allowed to wear a bathing suit and show off her body, unless they were at the beach. And even then, she had to wear a cover-up over her suit. Yet at home, he would body shame her, call her fat or too muscly, and tell her that her stomach was disgusting and he couldn't stand to look at her. How enraging. Despite the body shaming, Rowan had an extremely high sex drive and demanded sex from her constantly. If Hannah denied him or tried to end it early, he would punish her for days and later he would punish their children. Giving into Rowan's demands was often her only choice, but not an easy one to make. Rowan wanted to have painful, dominating sex for hours on end. He would lay on top of her until she couldn't breathe, and sometimes choke her during sex until she passed out. She was constantly covered in bruises from his roughness. And despite all of these things, the couple had a second daughter named Leona.
1: Hi, this is Daniel LaRouve, the Real GM Radio Podcast. It's a Texas showdown, the postseason, and bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering information, up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns, everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series and through the world series. Don't forget, Bet Online is where you have the latest game, odds, present, and totals for the NFL and college football, plus real time updates on statistics, news, and odds, serious up betting on football. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action at Bet Online where the game starts. So things on the outside were looking good. They have two kids, and while pregnant, Liana, Hannah, and Rowan decide to open a gym of their own in Capellaba. They asked Hannah's parents to invest $20,000, and they were able to get another investor to invest $40,000. They named the gym Integrate, however, it didn't do well. On the gym's website, Hannah was described as an enthusiastic, passionate mother of three and a trampolining champion. She represented Queensland for four consecutive years and also achieved international medals. The two had moved the gym several times due to landlord issues and not being able to afford the rent. Around the same time, Hannah's son Trey was born in December 2016. They had moved their gym to Mansfield, and that is when both Rowan and Hannah began competing in CrossFit competitions. The gym continued to struggle, as Rowan was a terrible business manager. He couldn't project income against outcoming expenses, and often overspent, always expecting the Clark family to come up with their monthly shortfalls. Rowan was also hyper-competitive with gym members and would often cause them to quit. He liked to humiliate them and push them to the point of vomiting. Eventually, to subsidize their expenses, Hannah took on a second job at an athletic footwear shop. She would work there three days a week and teach classes and coach clients at the gym the other four days of the week. So yeah, she was working seven days a week at this point and each time she worked, Rowan would come and make sure that she wasn't flirting with coworkers or male customers. What a guy. On top of constantly working two jobs, Hannah was also expected to do everything for their three children. She did all of the cooking and all of the cleaning, and then Hannah had to entertain Rowan at night. And quite frankly, she was exhausted. Rowan and Hannah shared a Facebook account where he would try to portray himself as father of the year. The only problem was Rowan had no idea how a good father behaved. His own father went to prison for sexually abusing his two sisters, and his mother would allow him to watch violent porn as a child to keep him from getting angry. Which doesn't make a bit of sense. In one disturbing Facebook post, Rowan forced his children into ice baths. In the video he posted, you can hear Trey screaming to be let out, and Rowan belittling him and forcing him to stay in longer. It was nothing short of torture. Rowan had a complicated relationship with his own mother, who actually died when he was 20 years old. On Mother's Day, he refused to allow Hannah to spend the whole day with her mom. He would only allow her to visit for a few hours, and then the rest of the day, they had to celebrate his deceased mother, which looked a lot like Hannah waiting on Rowan for the rest of the day. To further control and terrorize Hannah, Rowan would often insinuate that he was going to kill himself. On May 18, 2019, Hannah phoned her mother and told her that Rowan had wanted to have sex and she didn't, which resulted in this huge fight. On that occasion, Rowan smashed her watch and left the house. Hannah found the hose missing from the garage and became worried that he was going to kill himself. That night, Hannah and her parents drove all around Capellaba and Carindale looking for him. He came home the next morning and told Hannah that he decided not to kill himself because she didn't deserve to live a life of peace without him. Wow. Anytime Rowan was upset with Hannah, he would often punish the children and let them know that it was their mother's fault they were in trouble. And as a result, Aaliyah was afraid of her father and tried to avoid him. She had also begun standing up to him in defense of her mother, which was something Rowan would not allow. Liana and Trey also seemed terrified of their father. Rowan's controlling behavior began to escalate in November of 2019. That year, Hannah had qualified to compete in a big CrossFit competition on a team of four people. Rowan failed to qualify in his solo competition, which left him feeling humiliated. To calm him down, Hannah invited Rowan to be the fourth member of her team with another man referred to as Mr. D in the coroner's inquest on this case. A few weeks in the training, Rowan injured himself and had to withdraw from the competition. And of course, he expected Hannah to do the same. And when she didn't, he accused her of having an affair with Mr. D. And when he knew things he wasn't supposed to know, he would tell her that his daughter accidentally recorded her on the phone and he had heard it. Something that was almost impossible to do.
0: On the final day of the CrossFit competition, Rowan forced Hannah to teach a gym class that morning at 7 a.m. Hannah had promised their oldest daughter that she could watch the competition and would bring her along. After she taught her class, Aliab called her mother crying. She told her that Rowan was punishing her for taking part in the competition without him. So Rowan took the kids that day and turned off his phone, and Hannah was worried about them all day and asking her brother to go to the beach to look for them. Hannah always feared that Rowan would harm her children to control and punish her. Well, that day, he wanted to punish her for competing without him. And later that night, he brought back the children as if nothing were wrong. He later told a friend that he had a recorder in the house and enjoyed listening to Hannah's hysterical phone calls to her mom worrying about their children Hannah told her friend that she just couldn't take it anymore, and this was the final straw. Hannah told her mother she was finally ready to leave Rowan and wanted her to help in creating a safety plan. Hannah was worried that her phone and car were bugged, so when she first left, she went to stay with a friend and left her car and phone behind in a parking lot. She had her friend call her mom and let her know that she and the children were safe. Hannah arrived at her parents' house, the Clarks' residence, the next day, with just her and her children and a few of their belongings. Hannah planned her escape for weeks. She began slowly gathering important papers and records she would need for her children and storing them at her parents' house. That way, she could be ready to leave on a moment's notice. Hannah obtained a second phone and a new phone number, which she used to communicate with her friends and family. However, Rowan continued to blow up her old phone with threats and pleas to return home. He actually took to social media, and he insisted he was devastated and only wanted his family back. He called friends and clients and acquaintances and asked them to all contact Hannah and tell her to return back to him. He told them all that Hannah was having an affair with another client and had left him for another man. In Rowan's eyes, he was the complete victim, and he couldn't understand why Hannah was treating him this way. In a follow-up to Hannah's safety plan, Senior Constable Kent, who is an officer, spoke to Hannah on December 8th, 2019. They gave Hannah some advice about domestic violence and believed her to be at medium risk for escalating violence. Now, at the time, she didn't know that Hannah had previously been choked and strangled by Rowan. If she had, Hannah's case would have been tagged at the highest risk level. Next, Constable Kent contacted the Vulnerable Person Unit of the Queensland Police Department to discuss Hannah's case. A few days go by, and Hannah took the children over to Rowan's home for a visit. He convinced Hannah to come inside and show them how to do something. By 8.30 p.m., Mrs. Clark had become concerned. She texted Hannah and asked if she was okay. Hannah texted back and asked her parents to come over. Rowan insisted the children stay, and he was trying to force them to go to bed. When the Clarks arrived, Rowan told them that Hannah was crazy and was doing all of this because she was having an affair. And this was ironic because Rowan had several affairs throughout his marriage to Hannah. Rowan returned the children the next day and told Hannah that he had a mental health evaluation and he was all good to go and he couldn't understand why Hannah wouldn't return home. It was at this time that Hannah began to express her fears that Rowan would either harm her or her children. She told her mother she wanted to get a will made so the courts would know she wanted her family to raise her children in the event of her death. On another occasion, Rowan let himself into the Clark home and was listening to Hannah inside a closed room. That is when he discovered that Hannah had another phone and he became livid. He once again accused her of leaving him for another man and cheating on him throughout their marriage, which was something Rowan did, not Hannah. Rowan continued to exert his control over Hannah. He would never return the children when he promised and would terrify her when she couldn't get a hold of him. On December 22nd, 2019, Rowan filed for child support. He lied to the courts and said that he was a full-time caregiver and Hannah needed to pay him support money. Two days later on Christmas Eve, he called Hannah upset, begging to see the children. She allowed him to stay for a few hours and he gave the children gift cards instead of Christmas presents. Now, get this. When Hannah's father took them to the shops after Christmas, they discovered that there wasn't any money on these cards. So Mr. Clark bought the children's skateboards and allowed them to think that they were presents from their father. On December 26, 2019, Hannah agreed to meet Rowan at the skate park to play with the children and watch them ride the gifts that he pretended to buy for them. As they were leaving, Rowan insisted that the children come home with him. When Hannah refused, he told Hannah, You have caused all of this. It's your fault. Then he grabbed five-year-old Leona and threw her in the car without a car seat or putting a seatbelt on her and drove away. Now, from an outsider's perspective, this scene looked pretty much like a kidnapping. A neighbor witnessed this event and called the police and reported it as a kidnapping. For days, Hannah was just terrified that he would harm Leona while she tried her best to bring her daughter home. The police told Hannah because she didn't have a custody order in place, they couldn't force him to return the child. Hannah was notified that Rowan took Leona to a friend's house. That friend texted Hannah and told her that this was all her fault and it was cruel to keep a father from his children. Hannah explained to the police that she had a safety plan in place with senior constable Kent. And the only reason she hadn't obtained a domestic violence order against Rowan is that she was worried it would antagonize the situation. With Leona missing, there was nothing stopping her now from seeking that protection. After hearing about Hannah's safety plan, the two officers agreed to visit Rowan and tried to persuade him to return Leona. Senior Constable Kent arranged for Hannah to visit the station with the intention of pursuing the DVO application. And in the meantime, Hannah's lawyers sent Rowan a letter requesting the immediate return of Leona in exchange for a written visitation schedule. Rowan had a friend representing him for free. Rowan's lawyer sent Hannah's lawyer a proposed custody agreement in a negotiated exchange for returning Liana. And the proposed order gave Rowan 70% custody and child support. Of course, this ludicrous offer was rejected, which just further enraged Rowan. Hannah still hadn't followed through with the domestic violence restraining order. And senior Constable Kent began worrying about Hannah's safety and applied for the order without Hannah's consent, something that officers have the right to do in Australia. Constable Kent was confident in doing this after Rowan had placed their child, Leona in a dangerous situation. And so a restraining order was taken out on behalf of Hannah and the children, preventing Rowan from being within 100 meters of the children or Hannah's residence. On December 29th, Constable Kersey went to Rowan's home to serve him with the police protection notice and the domestic violence restraining order. Rowan became upset with Hannah until the police explained that they had obtained the orders against Hannah's wishes. As a result of the order, the police told him that Leona had to leave with them and they would return her to her mother. He began crying and told the officers that while he was gone, Hannah had come and taken the dog and now he was alone without anyone. He told them he was the best father and had 100 people willing to testify to that fact. After this event, Hannah confided in a close friend that she feared that Rowan would hurt her children in order to hurt her and then take the coward's way out and kill himself. Now, in January of 2020, Rowan went to the court and contested the domestic violence restraining order. The court ordered a temporary protection order against Rowan, which prevented him from committing any acts of domestic violence. He was also told not to expose the children to domestic violence and told he couldn't go within 100 meters of Hannah's residence. He was also forbidden from contacting Hannah unless it was to contact the children or arrange contact with the children. But then, suddenly, Rowan was no longer ordered to stay away from Hannah or the children. In hindsight, the court would regret making this modification. So on January 20th, 2020, Hannah filed a request with the court to reinstate the stricter conditions against Rowan. On the 28th, Rowan was ordered to pay Hannah $360 per month in child support, This was something that set Rowan in a rage. And on the same day, Rowan made a Facebook post thanking all of his supporters and crying that he was gutted at losing his children. He said Hannah's cruelty was crippling him and he wouldn't stop fighting for his children until he received at least 50-50 custody. The mutual lawyers had arranged for Rowan to see his children on January 30th. Aaliyah was terrified to visit her father. Rowan would punish his daughter for standing up to him. That night, Aaliyah FaceTimed her mother crying. She said that Rowan was driving the children on the highway and wouldn't say where he was going. He was behaving irrationally and saying things that were scaring her. And after that, Hannah bought Aaliyah a watch with texting capabilities. She told her she had to keep it a secret from her dad and if she was scared, she could go into the bathroom and text her mom. When Rowan finally returned the children the next day, Hannah saw explicit photos of herself all over the floor of the car. They were meant to humiliate her. Hannah grabbed her son from the car seat and grabbed the photos too. Rowan went after her and twisted her arm behind her back until she dropped the photos and he left bruises all over Hannah's arms. Hannah sought medical attention, which required her to wear a splint for a few weeks. When Hannah reported the abuse to Constable Kent, she spoke with Rowan about his breach of the temporary protection order. And as a result, Rowan was no longer allowed to see his children until the next court date, April of 2020. Rowan had no intention of waiting to see his children. He had no intention of allowing Hannah to control when and if he saw his children, and he definitely wasn't going to give her one dime in support of their children. In retaliation, Rowan tried to file his own domestic violence order against Hannah for emotional abuse and withholding his children from him. Around this time, Rowan's friends became concerned he may kill himself. Another friend gave him $2,000 to seek treatment. That same week, Hannah confided in a friend that she feared being alone with Rowan. She believed he would kill her and she discussed getting a will in the event of her death. And a few days later, Rowan was served with the notice to appear in court for violating the court's domestic violence order. He was facing a charge of common assault. Rowan cried to all of his friends, insisting that Hannah was making all of this up to prevent him from seeing his children. Through his attorney, he sent Hannah a letter asking to resume their parenting plan. Instead, Hannah agreed to allow him to resume FaceTime phone calls with the children. And as you can imagine, this enraged Rowan. In his eyes, Hannah was winning, she was in control of herself, she was in control of the children, and now she had control of his freedom. In Rowan's world, no one could have control except for him. That's when Rowan began making plans to take back control. On February 17th, 2020, he was recorded on store surveillance cameras entering a hardware store. He browsed multiple aisles before choosing a can of lawnmower fuel. Then, he returned that fuel to the shelf, and instead, he replaced it with an empty gasoline canister. He also purchased a bottle of methylated spirits and a package of zip ties. From the hardware store, he drove to his aunt's house and asked to borrow her car for a few days. He told her he needed to travel to Australia's Gold Coast, and his car had terrible gas mileage. In reality, he needed a car that Hannah wouldn't recognize while he stalked her. The next day, he went to the gas station and filled up his gas can with 4.6 liters of gasoline. He also purchased three chocolate candies for his children. His plan was coming together. He wasn't entirely sure of the outcome, but based on a note he left, it seems likely he intended to hurt Hannah by killing their children and then himself. A few hours later, Rowan called a men's support hotline. He was looking into their 10-week men's program. Based on the recorded conversation, it's likely that this was Rowan's way of leaving behind a false narrative that he was the victim of a cheating wife who was lying to keep him from his children. He called a friend and told him that everything Hannah was doing to destroy him was working. He was destroyed. He called another friend and told him that he had lost everything. He said Hannah took everything from him. He lost his children and he was being evicted from his apartment. He FaceTimed his children that night and just cried on the phone. Hannah told her mother that she was worried he might harm himself. It was the next morning on February 19th, 2020. Hannah's mother went to the gym and arrived back home around 6.20 in the morning, and she didn't notice any strange vehicles on the street. At 6.30, Hannah went out to get some coffee for herself and her mother. She came home, she sat on her mother's bed and was getting ready for work, and the girls were playing a game, and Trey was watching a dinosaur show on TV. It was 7.20 in the morning. Hannah's mom kissed her and her grandchildren for the last time. She told them she loved them, and she left for work. At 8.20 a.m., Hannah began putting the children in her Kia Sportage SUV to take them to school. She finished buckling Trey into his car seat and then headed for the driver's seat. As she sat down, Rowan came from behind the hedges and jumped into the front passenger seat. He was carrying a lighter, a gas can, and a knife. He held the knife at Hannah's throat and told her to shut up and drive. Almost immediately, the children began screaming and begging him not to hurt their mother. He told Hannah if she didn't drive, he would set them all on fire. When Hannah further defied him, he began covering Hannah and the children in gasoline. He held the lighter open as a threat. That's when Hannah quickly pulled the car over to her neighbor's house and screamed to please call the police. She told her neighbor, Mr. Zemeck, that her husband had poured petrol all over her and was going to kill her. Rowan was holding onto Hannah, stopping her from exiting the vehicle. Later, Mr. Zemeck would say that Rowan was eagerly calm, like he was in control of the situation. Within seconds, the entire car was engulfed in flames. He pulled Hannah from the car and told her to get on the ground and roll over as he was using his garden hose to extinguish the flames. She was screaming about her children in the car and asking for help to get them out. As he was hosing her down, he noticed her skin curling and falling off onto the ground. Another neighbor came over to help and noticed that Rowan had fled the vehicle. The vehicle began slowly rolling away when she saw Rowan leap back into the vehicle and come back out with a knife. He was now on fire, too, and on the ground. He plunged the knife twice into his stomach and once into his heart. That same neighbor, Miss Covey, began helping Hannah. Unbelievably, Hannah could talk and wanted everyone to know what Rowan had done. Despite being in excruciating pain, she told Miss Covey that she had a domestic violence order against her husband. She said her babies were still in that car and begged someone to get them out. The entire car was engulfed in flames and it was impossible to save her children. In an extraordinary moment of strength and adrenaline, Hannah stood up and repeated, My kids, my kids. One neighbor tried to help Hannah's children, but the door was so hot and completely engulfed in flames, he couldn't see any children in the backseat other than a melted baby seat. When paramedics arrived, they immediately began working on Rowan as he seemed to be the most injured between the two of them. Hannah screamed she wanted him to live and spend the rest of his life rotting in jail for what he had done to her children. Another paramedic began attending to Hannah. Hannah was able to introduce herself and explain what had happened. The paramedics said she had full thickness burns to more than 80% of her body. She was in pain, but she was lucid and able to communicate. He gave her oxygen and administered morphine into her leg muscle because he couldn't find a vein for an IV. He wanted to reduce her pain, and she repeatedly kept asking if her children were okay. While still in the ambulance, a neighbor, Dr. Rashford, arrived. He knew immediately that Hannah's burns were not survivable. He instructed the EMTs to give Hannah 50 milligrams of fentanyl through an IV he was able to establish in her hand. He told them to continue giving her enough anesthetic to make her sleep. At that time, Hannah could only say, I am in pain. Hannah was taken to the critical care unit where it was determined she had burned over 97% of her body. She was intubated and placed into a coma. She died later that afternoon at the Royal Brisbane Women's Hospital. The neighbor that tried to help her, Dr. Rashford, who had initially helped Hannah, was now determined to make sure that Rowan lived and paid for his crimes. So he began to commence a trauma cardiac arrest resuscitation Despite extreme efforts to save Rowan, including opening his chest and massaging his heart, Rowan died at the scene. Once the fire was extinguished, the three children were burned so badly that they couldn't be visually identified. All three children were pronounced dead at the scene at 9.53 a.m. Hannah died from multi-organ failure from the effects of the fire she burned over 97% of her body. A print was made of Hannah's foot in the hospital where she died. It was the only part of her body that wasn't burned. And her death was immediately declared Australia's worst act of domestic violence. All three children were burned beyond recognition and died from smoke inhalation and direct thermal effects. Rowan's body was the only one not covered in remnants of gasoline. However, he did suffer extensive burns, His cause of death was cardiac arrest after a self-inflicted stab wound to his chest cavity. The coroner's inquest determined that Rowan premeditated the murders due to his inability to accept the loss of control over Hannah and their children. Investigators believe that Rowan intended to kill Hannah and then burn and bury her body. They concluded the deaths of the children were hastily made to inflict trauma on Hannah before he killed her. Hannah's parents started a small steps for Hannah Foundation to help others in similar desperate situations. They want her tragic story to be a wake-up call about the insidiousness of domestic violence and the different forms of abuse can take. They want to educate victims on the red flags that increase the chances of homicide. Those among them are when a partner restricts your breath through choking or strangulation. This is a red flag that you are in danger of serious bodily harm or death. Nathaniel Clark, Hannah's brother, stated, This is such a tragic event. We want to be able to help people in a similar situation to what my sister was in and maybe raise awareness of early signs of domestic abuse that are not always easy to see. Not all domestic abuse is physical. We are wanting the symbol of her footprint to somehow be a symbol of her and her legacy. We want to try to start something to help women who are in this situation, who have suffered domestic abuse mentally, physically, or sexually. Hannah's mother takes solace in knowing the last words she spoke to her daughter and grandchildren were the words, I love you. She hoped others wouldn't take those small moments with their loved ones for granted. In a blink of an eye, it can all change. If you or a loved one is suffering from domestic violence, there are resources available. It's imperative to obtain guidance on how to safely make a plan to escape your situation. The National Domestic Violence Hotline can be reached 24-7 at 800-799-7233 or by text at 88788. We want to send a special thank you to those that support us through Patreon. Thank you so much for being a part of Crime Salad. This week, let's welcome our new supporters. We have Dana and Alex. Enjoy some of the bonus content on there. And also, we have a current discount to our live show that we will be doing with Moment. Snatch up those tickets for March 2nd because we will be doing a live show at 8 p.m. Eastern time. Check the link in the description for more information. We can't wait to hang out with all of you. It's going to be a lot of fun. As always, thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe to make sure that you don't miss an episode. High five to those that have been giving us some supporting feedback. You guys are the best. We will see you next week.
1: Hi, this is Chris Hart, host of Blood, or Chris Hart... BetOnline is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info with up-to-the-minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. BetOnline has everything you need to stay up to speed on each league championship series all the way through the World Series. And don't forget, BetOnline is where you get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals for the NFL and college football right at your fingertips. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on all the action. BetOnline, where the game starts.